Hello, friendly people. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. Joe Cotter here and Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. You ready to talk a little bit of science? Always, man. Always. Yeah, and so I guess today's conversation, if there's one takeaway, it's please get screened. If you are due for a cancer screening, get screened. If COVID caused you to delay getting screened, please get screened. And today, this is October, so Breast Cancer Awareness Month. If you're due for mammography, please get screened. And as you, as Susanna, I guess you'll talk about this. In some cases, it may not be as um, straightforward as a mammogram. What we talked about today was risk factors for breast cancer, different subtypes and associated risk factors. We spoke with two guests, uh, one of our colleagues and one of our grantees. Our colleague is Dr. Lauren Terrace. She's a senior scientific director of epidemiology research in the population science team here at ACS. And the grantee we spoke with was Dr. Anne-Marie McCarthy. She's a cancer epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. So Susanna, um, what were your big takeaways? Hey Joe, yeah, well, I mean, so first of all, I am glad for October to remind us to think about breast cancer awareness, but we certainly shouldn't think about our breast once a year, gracious. And what these really wonderful scientists reminded us of is that if you have breast, you have to think about breast health all the time. And there are things that we can do that we we talked about to decrease our risk factors for breast cancer. And I think all of us, you know, we, we try. We, we try to do all these things. And these are things that the American Cancer Society recommends to us, that our oncologists recommend to us, that our OBGYNs recommend to us, that our general practitioners recommend to us. So like maintaining a healthy body weight, um, reducing our alcohol consumption, increasing our physical activity. and we can do all those things. And, and even if we are doing our very best to decrease our risk for breast cancer, we still, as you smartly reminded us, need to screen for breast cancer. And the screening tool that, as our guest reminded us today, that is the most effective and 85% of the time um, will detect breast cancer while we are still healthy and when a disease, when the disease is at its earliest state is mammography. And the cool part of our conversation today, I think, helped to educate us about the what ifs. And the what ifs are, what about that other 15% of the time when mammography doesn't catch a growing tumor. And why is that? Because that can be really frustrating. And so what our speakers helped me to understand are the what ifs are things that may feel out of our control. Like if a tumor is growing really quickly, or if we have dense breast, or if maybe we don't have the best mammography screening tools in the institution where we go to get screened. And so that that to me is just kind of yucky and, and not great. And so the conversation that we had, the biggest 
part of the podcast around was what to do then. What, what do you do if you happen to fall into the category of three or four of those things piling on at once? Let's say that I am an overweight woman who lives in a place where screening is, the screening resources are not fantastic, and I know that I have dense breasts. Well, what do I do then to make sure or to ask what kind of screening should I be getting? Is an annual mammogram enough? And who do I talk to? Because I, I think that it's fantastic that we are asking all the right questions at the American Cancer Society, and we are doing some phenomenal research and developing some really great risk prediction models. But we have lots of questions to ask and lots of answers to provide, but fundamentally, it comes down to me and you. And if we have breasts, those answers are really going to matter just to me. And the decision is going to be my decision to make. And at the end of the podcast, we get some really good tools that are going to help us to guide our individual decision making. And by God, if we think about that every month, um, and if it, that's awesome. But if we need the month of October to remind us to have those really hard conversations with the people helping us guide those health decisions, then then this is a really, a really wonderful thing that October reminds us to do. So these are some fantastic women, some fantastic researchers, and um, I think you're going to love hearing from them. Good afternoon, Anne-Marie. How are you? Hi, Suzanne. It's great to be here today. I'm so jazzed to have you. And Lauren, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, great to be here. I'm doing great. Thanks. All right. So Anne-Marie, let's Let's start with you. You are an epidemiologist at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. And the goal of your research is to reduce the burden of cancer through prevention and screening strategies. And you really focus on racial and ethnic minorities. Lauren, you are also an epidemiologist, a scientific director here at the American Cancer Society, where you lead the breast portfolio for the Department of Population Science. And we have the opportunity to talk to you both today because October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So with you two on the pod, it seemed to us like a fantastic opportunity to learn more about risk factors around breast cancer in general. So I think for those of us who are fortunate enough not to think about breast cancer all the time, I would like to level set a little bit for our audience. So Lauren, um, I'd love to start with you. Um, I looked up a few statistics from our website and just from the general data sets early before the podcast, our own estimates are that the American Cancer Society estimates 284,000 new breast cancer diagnosis in 2021. So we can sit with that number for a moment. It's a big number. But I do think these numbers only really tell part of the story. Um, would you help us to understand a little bit why you think it's important for each of us to think about our risk of developing breast cancer? Yeah, I think that risk of developing breast cancer really varies from person to person. And it depends on a variety of factors. 
For most people, it's an accumulation of multiple factors over a lifetime that determines who goes on to get breast cancer and who doesn't. Understanding your own risk so that you and your doctor can make decisions about the right breast cancer screening plan for you is so important. Uh, we know that there are some ways that you can lower your risk of developing breast cancer, like being physically active and limiting alcohol intake. There's also research that shows that breastfeeding might lower the risk of some types of breast cancer. For women at particularly high risk of breast cancer, this is typically women with certain genetic mutations, their doctors may prescribe drugs such as tamoxifen or raloxifene that can block the impact of estrogen on the breast and therefore lower your risk of breast cancer. So at ECS, we're working on understanding all the ways that breast cancer risk can be lowered and putting that information together for doctors and women and men to make a plan that's right for them. Uh, but you're absolutely right that uh, that number is overall very staggering and, and it's actually increasing right now. So really understanding what we can do to lower risk of breast cancer for as many people as possible is, is very important. So Anne-Marie, I'd like to turn my questions to you because one thing that I think many of our listeners have heard about one tool is that is mammography because no matter the, the steps we've taken as far as risk reduction one kind of tool in our toolbox that we can implement in addition to all the, the things that Lauren shared is is screening right so I'm really interested to hear both sides of what you and Lauren are going to share. And one of the things that you're going to talk to us about is mammography screening for breast cancer, which is a, a tool that we use to actually detect cancer before symptoms develop. So maybe share a little bit with us about the level of protection that mammography screening can give to most women. Yeah, thanks, Susanna. So mammography screening is one of the most effective means we have of reducing breast cancer. So as Lauren talked about, there's many different risk factors that go into um, increasing or decreasing a, a woman's risk. And we should definitely try to, um, you know, take steps to live healthier lifestyles that might reduce our risk of breast cancer. Um, but the fact remains that even, um, you know, if you do all of these steps, um, any woman who has breasts can develop breast cancer. Um, and so for that reason, we recommend mammography screening. And so screening, the goal of screening is um, to test a woman who is healthy at the time um, and see if we can detect cancer at an early stage before um, symptoms develop. So before a woman feels a lump, before there's any other type of symptom that occurs. And we do that because when we detect cancer at an early stage, it makes it much easier to treat that cancer. Um, and so the earlier we can detect cancer, the better shot we have of curing a woman of cancer. Um, and so for it's really for that reason that we recommend mammography for all women, because we can think about an individual person's risk level, but we can't totally eliminate risk. Um, so any woman that has breasts should think about screening for breast cancer with mammography on a regular basis. Um, and we can talk, we'll get into a little bit more later about, you know, how we might think about those decisions about when to screen and how often and with what technology. Okay, so Amory, that's interesting that you helped us understand that despite taking risk reduction measures, 
that Lauren recommended, which I think we all, I think, really feel like we're doing our best. We are exercising and following our doctor's recommendations around healthy diets and alcohol consumption. But your message to us is that if we have breast, we are at risk for breast cancer. And the goal of mammography would be then to detect a breast cancer at truly the earliest stage. So um, when we are at our healthiest, so before we would actually feel a symptom of a cancer. And the reason you said for that is because it's easy to treat. Now, so, so if all that's true then, why wouldn't mammography screening potentially be enough for all women? Right, that's a great question and a really important thing to consider. So we know that mammography is one of the best ways to reduce our risk of dying of breast cancer, but it's still a screening test and no screening test is perfect. We might have, you know, we might have more experience with like screening tests and positives and negatives now that COVID, we live in COVID land and we think about COVID testing and you've probably heard about problems with false positives and false negatives with COVID testing. Well, it's the same with mammography. Mammography works really well and it detects most cancers, um, but it's not perfect. And so it's not perfect in a couple of ways. It's not perfect because um, some women might have false positives. Some women may have experienced um, having a mammogram and getting called back for more imaging uh, because the radiologist sees something that might be concerning. Um, some women might even be called back for a biopsy that ends up not being cancer. So with mammography, there's a, a, there's a significant number of false positives that happen. It's about 10% of women each round of screening have a false positive. So over a lifetime, as many as 50% of women might experience a false positive test. Um, and so I think that's important for women to know that, you know, if you do get called back for something, don't panic yet. This is part of the process and your your doctor can help you um, get um, the, the additional test you need to determine whether it's a cancer or not. And so while false positives are a problem with mammography, false negatives are a problem as well. Um, and some cancers are missed on a mammogram. Um, it's estimated that about 15% of breast cancers occur um, within a short time of a negative mammogram before the next recommended screening. Um, and this can happen for a few reasons. It could happen because the tumor is small and the radiologist misses it. Um, that's most likely to happen if a woman has dense breast tissue, which we can talk a little bit more about later. Um, so that's one way that it could happen. It could also happen if you just have a really fast growing cancer where you have a screen one day um, and there's no cancer and then you know a year later you've developed a cancer. So that's called an interval cancer. Um, so mammography is great. It's one of the best tools we have, but it isn't perfect. And so because it's not perfect, um, there's a few things we, we need to think about. Um, and so the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, women should be aware that um, mammography isn't always perfect. So if even if you've had a, a mammogram recently, if you start to experience a symptom, if you feel a lump, if you have changes to your nipple, et cetera, talk to your doctor right away. Um, this actually hit really close to home. My mom was actually diagnosed with breast cancer a few months ago, and she had had a negative mammogram less than a year prior. So this actually happened to her, but 
um, she noticed some symptoms and was able to go get a mammogram earlier than was recommended and was able to get the cancer detected. So it's really important to, um, you know, not assume, oh, I've had a mammogram within a year, I'm fine. Because, you know, while mammography is great, it detects most cancers. I think the sense, I think about 85% of cancers, there's still this small chance that something might get missed. Um, there's also some other screening tests that um, can be used uh, to screen women for breast cancer. Um, breast ultrasound and breast MRI are two um, additional screening tests that can be used. Right now, these are mainly recommended for women who are determined to have high risk because they're more invasive, they have a higher risk of false positives, they're more, more costly, they may not be, they may or may not be covered by insurance for screening. Um, but these are um, additional tools that can help detect cancer, um, particularly cancers that might not be, get seen on a mammogram. So I just wanted to add that um, in addition to all of that, uh, one thing that we know is that screening mammogram quality uh, varies quite a bit. And um, this is particularly a problem in um, lower income neighborhoods. And uh, we know that black women are more likely to be screened with a mammogram that is of a lower quality. So something that's super important for policymakers and all of us to push for is to improve higher quality mammograms for, for all women. That's a great point. And um, we now have um, 3D mammograms uh, or digital breast tomosynthesis, um, which takes extra pictures and gives more of a three-dimensional look at the breast that has been rolled out across the country. Um, I think most screening centers now have tomosynthesis, but it depends on uh, your location, whether you get that for a screening mammogram or whether it's used for particular sets of patients. So that would be something to look into as well. If you have a choice of where you can go, um, you might think about the quality of the mammography that's that's uh, given there. Well, thank you both. I think, Amory, the, the question that I would have for you and one area of your expertise is that your field is trying to solve questions around aggressive cancers. So can you help us dive in a little bit more as to some of the particular challenges that aggressive cancers present for screening, particularly by mammography? Yeah, it's a really important topic. Um, so what we've what we've been learning um, about the biology of breast cancer is that breast cancer really isn't one disease. Um, there's many different types of breast cancer, and those different types of breast cancer might have different risk factors, and they um, might need to be treated differently with different types of medications, and they have different prognosis, so they have different survival rates. Um, and what we're increasingly finding is that some breast cancers are more easily detected on mammography, and some breast cancers are harder to detect on mammography. And so one example is triple negative breast cancer, um, which is a type of cancer that doesn't express estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, or HER2 receptor. Um, and so those three markers are important because we have drugs that target those three markers. So if your cancer expresses one of those markers, we can treat you with a drug that's targeted directly to that marker, um, can be very effective. 
for women with triple negative breast cancer, they they don't have the option of using those drugs. And so the um, the medications that can be given for triple negative cancers um, are more limited and therefore um, prognosis is poorer. Um, triple negative also tends to grow more aggressively um, and has particularly poor prognosis. Um, and triple negative breast cancer also tends to be more common among black women, uh, which we don't entirely understand the reason for that, but that's been shown over and over again that black women tend to have a higher risk of triple negative breast cancers. Um, and so um, what, we're, what we're seeing is that um, triple negative breast cancer is less likely to be detected on a mammogram. And we think part of it might be because it's fast growing. So it's harder to detect on a mammogram because it just grows, it pops up in the middle. And then by the time you get your next mammogram, it's potentially higher stage. Um, there's also some indication that it might have, it might look more benign to the radiologist. So it has um, some features that make it look like more like a benign uh, lesion than uh, some of the other types of cancer that are more easily picked up on a mammogram. And so what, what an active area of my research is to try to understand what are the risk factors specifically for triple negative breast cancer so we can identify women at high risk for triple negative um, and think about if mammography is going to be less effective for those women, perhaps they might consider um, screening with breast MRI um, or ultrasound, or perhaps they might screen more frequently. So, you know, the guidelines for breast cancer screening uh, vary a little bit depending on, you know, what organization you're looking at. Um, but perhaps if you had a high risk of an aggressive breast cancer, you might screen at least annually. You might not wait every other year. You might go every year. Um, you might get your mammogram every year, and then you might also get an MRI um, every year as well. Um, so we think that if we are able, if we can do a better job of picking out which women are gonna get or are at, at higher risk of getting aggressive breast cancer, then we could do more for those women. Conversely, if you're at a low risk for bad breast cancer or low risk for breast cancer overall, you might feel more confident to go every other year between screening mammograms. Um, and so unfortunately right now, we don't have good ways to identify who's at high risk for these different types of aggressive cancers. And that's something that I'm, I'm working on uh, right now with funding from ACS. Wow, so interesting to me. And it seems so inherently just unfair that if you have a particularly aggressive breast cancer that is likely to be less treatable with targeted therapies, you may also be at risk for being missed by mammography just because of the timing of screening. So I know that part of your research is focused on breast density. Maybe, I guess I'll ask the question in two parts. Help us, not everyone knows maybe what breast density means. So would you explain breast density to us and then help us to understand why it's associated with breast cancer risk, because I think our audience will be really interested in understanding this and understanding why your research is so exciting and can hopefully lead us to a really a better outcome with this group of high-risk women. Yeah, so, so every, every woman's breast has different types of cells in it. 
So there's some um, cells that make up the ducts that make milk and the glands that make milk. So the epithelial cells, connective tissue, um, and then there's fat cells. And so when you get a mammogram, the cells that um, make up the milk ducts and glands, it's called fibroglandular tissue, um, that um, shows up as white on the mammogram. And whereas the fat tissue um, shows up as dark on the mammogram. And so it can be easier for the radiologist to see through the dark fat tissue than it can be to see through the dense tissue. So if you have a lot of dense tissue in your breast, um, that's where the cancers tend to arise from, from those cells. Um, and if you have a lot of tissue, it can be hard for the radiologist to actually see small tumors. So women with um, dense breasts, um, for women with dense breasts, um, they have a greater risk of having a cancer missed because this dense tissue can obscure tumors. Um, and so because of this, that's one of the reasons why um, there's some thought that women with dense breasts might consider other forms of screening. So for example, breast MRI screening um, you can still see the tumors despite dense tissue. It's a different kind of um, different kind of imaging, um, and it doesn't um, it doesn't suffer from this uh, this problem with dense breast tissue as much. Um, so that's how breast density increases your risk in the short term because if you have dense breasts, it might block the radiologist from being able to see the tumor. Um, but we also know that, that we also think that there's a, a, a biological background as well that um, women who have dense breasts that indicates biological characteristics in their breasts that are prone to getting cancer later. Um, we've seen studies that show breast density increases your risk of breast cancer like 10, 15 years out. Um, so we think it's kind of a dual, it, breast density is increasing risk kind of in two ways. One is in the short term by making it harder for the radiologist to pick out a tumor. And then another in kind of the longer term, uh, dense breast tissue might indicate tissue that is more prone to developing breast cancer. And we don't really understand the underlying biology very well. And so that's a, a, an area of active research, trying to better understand, um, you know, what does breast density represent and how we might use that to better um, assess risk for individual women. Fascinating, Amory. Thank you so much. All right. So Lauren, I, I want to hear the other side of the coin because your team at the American Cancer Society has also identified risk factors for women who are at high risk of breast cancer that are breast cancers that are missed by screening. So tell us which women did your group find could also benefit from, as Anne-Marie shared, um, these more intensive screening processes. Yeah, thanks, Susanna. So our group found that women who had been previously diagnosed with a benign breast disease, so that's a lump that didn't end up being cancer, um, and women who use postmenopausal estrogen replacement therapy were at higher risk of having a breast cancer that was diagnosed between screening mammograms. So um, what this means is that women who fall into these categories, as well as women uh, from Anne-Marie's work, I believe uh, women who were overweight uh, fell into that category also, um, as well as, as, of course, women with dense breasts. 
Um, but these women may benefit from those alternative, alternative screening schedules and screening modalities that Anne-Marie was describing, like 3D mammograms or MRIs. Um, but overall, I just want to make the point that, um, you know, we had different findings from different studies, and what's really needed is for more research on all of this uh, so that new screening guidelines, before they get put into place, we need lots and lots of studies um, to, to try to really understand who's at higher risk and, and who isn't and who needs to be on a different screening plan than we have now. So we're really looking to try to move everything in a more personalized way and understand which groups of women um, need different types of screening. The hope is that policymakers and guideline makers will take a, a closer look at, at these groups of women, like women with benign breast disease, women with who are taking postmenopausal hormones, and, and understand who might benefit from a more comprehensive screening plan. Thanks, Lauren. I think I'll pose the next question to both of you. Lauren, I'll ask you first. So if I'm a woman and I'm sitting at home listening to this, and I'm looking at myself and I'm like, well, I'm overweight or I'm someone who consumes maybe not the best diet. I, I love my Cheetos, speaking as Susanna Greer, or, or I, I consume postmenopausal hormone therapy or, or I have dense breasts, or I'm black, or, or a list of all of these things. Um, I may leave this podcast and say, well, that's all fantastic that we need more research on all of this to determine who's at higher risk, but that doesn't, that doesn't help Susanna Greer right this hot second. So what, what do I do? What, what do I do when I go to my OBGYN or when I make my next appointment with my general practitioner to ask, what should I do if I feel like I might fall into one of these categories? So Lauren, I'll ask you first, how can I be the best advocate for myself? Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, and I'm so glad you said that. How can you be your own advocate is really, um, I think the number one thing that we all can and should be doing to the best of our ability. Look out for yourself, ask questions, um, make it, make, make people talk to you um, about, about you because uh, there is only one you. And while we can try to understand what risk is for groups of people, ultimately your personal risk is going to be different. So earlier, Anne-Marie mentioned that uh, some of her research and also my research actually um, is, is trying to develop risk prediction calculators. So having an idea, having the best idea we can about each person and what their personal risk is. And, and as Anne-Marie mentioned, we're really a long way from, from really being good at that, but there are some tools available um, that are definitely better than nothing. So I would recommend talking to your doctor about uh, making an assessment of your personal risk of breast cancer using a risk prediction calculator that's out there. Um, some of them are better for women with a family history. Others are better for more general population with women with a stronger, without a, a family history of breast cancer. Um, one calculator that I like a lot is freely available on the website of the Siteman Cancer Center at Washington University in St. Louis. 
Um, but there are several, and it would be it would be best to talk to your doctor about the one that makes most sense for you, uh, so that together you all can make a plan uh, for when you should be screened. As we've been talking about, what prevention strategies might work best for you, um, and and really be an active participant in in your own healthcare. Thanks, Lauren. And Anne Marie, I guess the same question. What what would be your recommendation for someone sitting at home and really appreciative of all the fantastic research that's happening, but struggling about what to do with their own personal health care decisions? Yeah, I would say get screened. Um, talk to your doctor about when you should start screening and how often you should screen and with what. Um, get to know your family history. And if you have a family history of breast cancer, be sure to bring that to your doctor's attention. Um, you know, pr particularly primary care doctors, they, you know, there's not a lot of time. They have to cover basically any, all health issues. Um, and so they might, may or may not take the time to kind of ask a woman, well, do you have family members who have had breast cancer? What are, do you have this collection of risk factors? Are you concerned about your breast cancer risk? Are you more concerned about missing a cancer? Or are you more concerned about a false positive? So, you know, you can ask your doctor, like, I'm I'm 40, I'm thinking about getting a mammogram. What do you recommend? Or, you know, I have, you know, my sister had breast cancer. I was screened a year and a half ago. Should I make an appointment now or should I wait till two years? Should I be screening every year? Um, also, you can find out what your state um, mandates in terms of insurance coverage. This is a, a, an area that's really changing a lot. Um, some states have um, mandated that women with certain um, characteristics have insurance coverage for supplemental screening. So, for example, my state of Pennsylvania um, has mandated that women with extremely dense breasts should be covered uh, by insurance for supplemental screening. That word has not gotten out there, and I don't know how many physicians even know about it, let alone are referring their patients. So, um, you know, there's websites out there, I think it's rudense.org, that tracks legislation across the country about supplemental screening. Um, so there's um, there's definitely, you know, bringing it up with your physician, doing some, um, some research on your own about might, what might be um, feasible. Um, and the other thing I would just say in terms of being an advocate is, you know, if you notice anything strange at any point with your breasts, always seek your doctor's, um, always talk to your doctor right away about it, even if you've had a mammogram recently, because, you know, while rare, it is possible that a mammogram misses a cancer. And whenever you have a symptom, you should always get that checked out. So we need to be advocates for ourselves, and we need to um, kind of, you know, ask our doctors and remind our doctors that this is something that's really important and um, help them, ask them to help guide us into the, into the right direction. So Lauren, um, I think I'd like to close and just ask if there's a message you would like to share with our listeners who are breast cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. Yeah, I think I would just like to reiterate that everyone should Ask questions and don't be afraid to consider asking for a second medical opinion if something doesn't make sense to you or doesn't sound right to you. Uh, depending on your family history, ask about whether genetic testing makes sense for you. Um, and lastly, reach out to us here at ACS with any and all cancer-related questions. Our call center is staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we also have a chat option now that you can access on our website, www.cancer.org.
So if, if a question comes to our call center that they can't answer, they'll forward it to someone who can, including us in research, um, and they'll get back to you as soon as possible. So please reach out to us. We are waiting to answer your questions and would love to hear from you. Thank you, Lauren. All right, Anne-Marie, similar question, but I think I'd like to close with you by asking for the benefit of our listeners who are breast cancer patients and survivors and caregivers. Could you maybe share with us the impact of ACS funding on you and your research? Yeah, so the ACS funding has allowed me to continue to be a researcher, honestly. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand how research works, but you know, I'm in an institution where I'm expected to bring in 80% of my salary from grants. So if I don't get grants, I'm out the door. Um, and so the ACS has funded my salary um, to a large proportion uh, for the last four years. Um, and this has given me the freedom to be able to explore the research questions that I think are really interesting, such as, you know, what's, what's driving risk of triple negative breast cancer? You know, how can we identify women who might have a cancer diagnosed within a short time of a negative mammogram. Um, so the ACS is funding me and is funding my research program to be able to answer those really important questions. And I'm really grateful to the ACS and I'm really grateful to everyone who, um, who helps um, contribute to the ACS in various ways. Well, thank you both. It's certainly not lost on me that we had the opportunity to talk about a disease that has a really significant impact on women to two really incredible women today. So thank you to you both for the wonderful work that you do. You're so impressive and we're grateful to you both to sharing your time and effort and energy with us and grateful for all you do for the American Cancer Society. So we'll let you get back to it. And um, Anne-Marie and Lauren, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much, Susanna. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with you today. Thanks. It was a lot of fun.